Go for the pulls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the ahs. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. Let's just start with the positive. It's officially Eagle season, man. This will probably be the last day we talk about baseball for a long time. And it pains me that we even have to talk about this today because that was just ugly. An ugly performance by the Philadelphia Phillies last night. And really, just a terrible ending to what we all thought was going to be a magical season. But a terrible ending. But we'll talk about the fight in Phil's today. And then we will switch gears once and for all to the other sports. And we're not talking Phillies for a long time, man. I'm over it. I'm over it. But I see you guys in the chat. Good to see you. Let's shoot the shit. BSing Sports, good to see you. MC, what's up? Let's get a little roll call. Let me see who's here this morning. New Jersey Fishing Maniac, how you doing today? MC, that pause before it's officially Eagles season. Crucial. Man, thank God we have our Eagles, man. Thank God we have our Eagles. But I was just talking to my producer, Xander, before we came on. And I said, look, that one stings. Last night stings. But doesn't even come close, for me at least, about the sadness I felt after Super Bowl 57 in comparison to what happened last night. Now, I think it's a bigger collapse by the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't think you can fault the Philadelphia Eagles for losing to Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl. But for me, as far as hurt, as far as wanting to crawl into a ball and get in the fetal position and not come out for days was Super Bowl 57 for me because that team deserved to win. We had such a good team last year. We have a good team this year, and we'll talk about it. But how's everybody doing? What's up, Wine Niners Wine? Who else we got here this morning on this wonderful Wednesday? Should be celebrating that the Phillies are going to the damn World Series, and instead we're going to talk about how these bats went completely cold. How you doing, Decoy Gaming? But, man, and look, I'm, we'll talk about Topper. We'll talk about some of the decisions he made or didn't make in this series. But this rests on our bats. Your players, this lineup is built to hit the baseball. This lineup is built to score runs. And in last night's Game 7, one of the biggest games in Philadelphia Phillies franchise history, our big bats went cold. And Scott Chairs, I see you, man. Why are we even talking about it? I know. We're going to talk about it today, and then we're going to flush it, and we're not talking about it again. And then we're moving on to the Philadelphia Eagles. But I, we got to talk about it, Scott, unfortunately. Chuck Hutton, good to see you, man. 
Bobby Murphy, how are you? The real RMP, that's definitely Wayne Cold. But you look at game seven. Let's just look at our big four. Schwarber, Harper, Turner, Castellanos. In the biggest game in Philadelphia Phillies franchise history. Well, I shouldn't say that. The World Series games are bigger. But one of the biggest in franchise history. Schwarber goes one for three. 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. Trey Turner, 0 for 4, and 0 for 3 with runners in scoring position. And I tweeted this out last night. As good as we all felt after that standing ovation for Trey Turner and the success he had after that and in the beginning of the playoffs, all I will remember is Trey Turner's horrible at-bats in the league championship series. That's all I'm taking into this offseason. I don't care about all the good mojo we had after we cheered Trey Turner and he had a couple of great weeks. What he did in the league championship series was ridiculous. Guy looked absolutely lost at the plate. And I get it. Sometimes in baseball, you go cold. You get some bad luck. He looked lost at the plate. Horrible at-bats. Absolutely horrible at-bats by Trey Turner. And that's all I'm remembering going into the offseason. Peter Doty, good morning to you as well. And Peter Doty says the Phillies have sucked since game three, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But let's keep going through the big four. My man, Bryce Harper. I love Bryce Harper. My fiance thinks I got a crush on Bryce Harper, and she may be right. Absolutely love that guy. But he didn't show up last night either, unfortunately. 0 for 4, 0 for 2 with runners in scoring position. And I said to the producer, Xander, before the show, he missed it by about a half inch. In that seventh inning, runners on first and second, two outs, 2-1 two count. Harper gets the fastball. He's sitting on it. Missed it by about a half inch. That was the difference. Last year, that ball... Goes over the fence. Just didn't have it. And then Nick Castellanos. My God, man. As good as Castellanos was last series, he was cold. Colder than he was hot last series. He completely wiped out everything good he did in this offseason by what the hell he did in this series. And last night was more of the same. 0 for 4, 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. And Castellanos... He had a home run in game one, and I'm sure you guys have all seen the stats. Since that home run, 0 for 23 in the championship series. Every single person in this chat, including me, could have done better at the plate than what Nick Castellanos did in the league championship series. It's just unacceptable, man. And again, just like I talked about with Trey Turner. It's baseball. Sometimes things don't go your way. Sometimes you can't hit as well because of bad breaks. Castellanos did not give us one good at-bat in the last 23 at-bats. How many times are you going to swing at low and away? How many times are you going to strike out chasing balls low and away? Come on, man. So frustrating. We're sitting here helpless watching these at-bats. It's horrible. Ah, oh, man, I'm getting all worked up again. I told myself I wasn't going to today. I just can't. So helpless. 
<laughs> Let's shoot the shit. Liam's in court filing his parental emancipation papers. Poor Liam, man. Wanted to see him celebrate. But somebody in the chat, I forget who it was, said they've been cold since game three. It was Peter Doty. And he's right, man. In game two of the NLCS, fighting Phils were five of seven with runners in scoring position. They were batting 7-14 in that game with runners in scoring position. You know what they did the rest of the series? Seven for 43 with runners in scoring position. They batted 163, and they struck out 14 times. 14 strikeouts the rest of the series when they had runners in scoring position. You can't win games like that. And we'll talk about Topper. Like I said, we'll talk about some of the decisions he made. But this falls squarely on our hitters. And Ranger Suarez, he gave it his all again last night. Not his best performance in comparison to what he's done before. He had some bad breaks in that game last night. But he goes four and two-thirds, six hits. He gets that third earned run because that runner was his on first. That ends up scoring. But Ranger, Ranger did his job last night. This is on our bats. And it's frustrating, man. It's frustrating. Just sticking to the bats for a second. You look at the league championship series batting averages for these guys. Nick Castellanos batted .042 in the league championship series. Are you kidding me? Rojas, who's like a pitcher up there when he bats, actually had a higher batting average than Nick Castellanos in the league championship series. So everybody, we're all talking about, hey, get Rojas out, get Rojas out. He had a better batting average than Nick Castellanos. Not, st still wasn't good. Rojas batted 136. And you got Trey Turner. He only batted 200 in the league championship series. Bryce Harper, 217. Bryson Stott, 240. JT Realmuto, 259. Alec Bohm. If you would have told me yesterday morning that Alec Bohm would have hit a home run last night and scored a run, I would have told you the Philadelphia Phillies win this game. Because all the talk was, do we move Alec Bohm out of the cleanup spot? Topper keeps him there, and Bohm delivers. Home run, another good at bat, run scored. It was our other guys, man. It was our big bats. Brandon Marsh hit 333 in the league championship series. Can't ask for more from Marsh. Schwarber batted 364, five RBIs, but went cold last night. But let's look at some of these decisions that Topper made. We knew going in that he wasn't going to change his lineup going in. But the biggest question that I have for Topper was what happened in the fourth inning. And I tweeted it out right away in that fourth inning. You have bases loaded. You just went up 2-1. There's two outs, bases juiced. And you got Rojas coming to the plate. Why are we not pinch hitting for Rojas in that spot? You have the ability to completely blow this game open at home with a base hit. Why are you not pinch hitting for Rojas in that spot? 
And Steve Patton just said the same thing. Sorry, but Rojas should have been pinch hit for with the bases loaded. I said it right away. Tweeted it right away last night. If you're not following me on Twitter, guys, give me a follow at Bill Calarulo. But I tweeted it right away. Why are you not pinch hitting for Rojas? And I get it. It's only the fourth inning. And we love to talk about the defense that Rojas brings. I don't give a crap about the defense. If you're able to blow open that baseball game, a base hit, makes that a 4-1 game with Suarez pitching well on the mound, with your bullpen lined up, with Zach Wheeler ready to come out of the bullpen, you go up 4-1 in that game, it's over. But instead, you let Rojas come up to the plate. You know he's not going to deliver. And I don't fault Rojas. He's a young guy. He's going to be a good player in this league. He's going to get better at the plate. He's not there yet, and we know it. And he's on this team, and he played in the playoffs for his defense. I get it. But in that moment, in Game 7, at Citizens Bank Park, with the bases loaded, you pinch hit for Rojas. And Topper was asked about it after the game. And his reasoning for not pinch hitting for Rojas is he said he would have had to have brought in Cave. And at that point, Arizona would have gone to their bullpen and brought in Maniply. And then he would have had a pinch hit for Cave, and he didn't want to have to use two players in that moment. I don't care. The game's over. A base hit there, 4-1, at home, Citizens Bank Park, with Wheeler waiting in the bullpen. That game is over. So essentially, instead of burning two players, you gave the Arizona Diamondbacks an out by letting Rojas bat with the bases loaded. What do you guys think in the chat? Fourth inning, bases loaded, two outs. Even if Topper would have had to have used two players, would you have pinch hit for Rojas? I want to hear from you guys in the chat. That was my biggest gripe with Topper last night. I was okay with the rest of the decisions. Peter Doty agrees, should have pinch hit for Rojas. Anybody disagree in the chat? Anybody think, no, you don't burn two players there? I'm willing to sacrifice the drop-off in defense at that point when you have them on the ropes, man. 4-1 is a completely different baseball game than 2-1. And Stephen Patton, game seven, you go for the kill. Absolutely. What's up, Carlos? Good to see you. Thanks for coming to the Power Hour, man. But even before the bases were loaded with Rojas, Castellanos has first and third with one out in the fourth inning. All he has to do is make contact there. All he has to do is make contact. We know how weak the arms are in the outfield for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And what does Castie do? Strikes out, of course. Of course. Just looks lost at the plate, man. Just looks absolutely lost at the plate. And then before that, there's a single by Real Muto. And Dusty holds Stott at third. Come on, be aggressive. It's game seven. At the bank. Man. Just so happy that we don't have to wait long for our Eagles to play on Sunday. Because this one, I just want to flush it, man. I just want to flush it. 
But this was, and I see Chuck Hutton, what a sickening feeling to know how bad the collapse we experienced. It really was. Last week on the show, Phillies go up 2-0. We were all cocky. And I think we should have been. Why not? This is an 84-win baseball team. That looked like an 84-win baseball team. And really, we want to talk about Topper. The entire momentum of this series changed game three when Kimbrell blew that save. Obviously, if the Phillies win that game three, series is over. Kimbrell was a real problem in this series. But still, I will not change my mind. I don't care what Topper says. You pinch hit for Rojas in the fourth. You pinch hit for him there. But still, players got to show up, man. Batters got to show up. Castellanos can't go 0 for 23 after home run in game one. But what do you guys think? Now, this was a obvious collapse. Coming back to Citizens Bank Park, where you've been 6-0 and this postseason, have the best home record in Major League Baseball history in the playoffs at Citizens Bank Park. You go up 2-0, headed out to Arizona. You come back 3-2, and you lose both games. What do you guys think? If you're here in the chat, who do you blame the most for this collapse? Do you blame Topper? Do you blame Trey Turner? Nick Castellanos? Craig Kimbrell? Is it Aaron Nola's fault that he couldn't deliver in game six? He did enough. I was pissed at Aaron Nola. Would have liked our ace to show up a little bit more than he did. But he did enough. These bats had to show up. And I see Let's Shoot the Shit saying, Stott needs to blow through that stop sign. Look, he's a second-year player. He's not Bryce Harper. He's going to do what the coach says at third. But they got to send him there. You know how weak these Arizona Diamondbacks' arms are, man. Be aggressive. Force them to make a perfect throw. BSing Sports says Topper and the Bats equally is to blame. The real MP, Topper and Kimbrell. And the problem is Topper's the one deciding to send Kimbrell out to blow these games. Let's shoot the shit. Blame the big money guys coming up small at the plate. Midnight lexicon. It's Turner, Casty, Harper, and Schwarber. Let's shoot the shit. All the pitchers but Kimbrell did their jobs. JM, Nola couldn't give us two innings. You know, I was down on Nola. And he could have pitched better in game six. But... I do think our pitchers did enough in this series. When you have a lineup like the Phillies have that is built to score runs like the Phillies are built, this pitching staff did enough. And I see MC. What I think is hurts is Leonidas in 300 on the football field. You know, my son's name's Leonidas. We call him Leo, but he's Leonidas. Like that movie, man. Love the Spartans. But, you know, I'm blaming our bats. I'm blaming our bats. As much as I want to second-guess Topper and his decisions and Kimbrell blowing that save 
and hit and Topper even deciding to put Kimbrell out. What do you want Topper to do, man? I mean, really, what do you want him to do when you got your bats going cold? Yeah, pinch hit for Rojas. I agree. But what do you want him to do when your big four goes one for 15 last night? <laughs> one for 15. Schwarber, Turner, Harper, and Casty. And they went 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. How are you going to win that game? How are you going to win? And I see Midnight Lexicon, three runs in two games. From one of the best offenses in baseball. Setting all types of records. You know, and that's part of the problem. We love the home run. So exciting. But this team lives and dies with that home run. And you saw a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks, who played small ball, beat the Philadelphia Phillies. And this team's not built to play small ball. Couldn't do it. At one point, Trey Turner's trying to bunt the runner over, which is, first of all, Trey Turner, man. The fact that he's even bunting in that situation just shows how zero confidence he had in himself. But Midnight Lexicon, spot on. They don't play small ball, and they lose to teams that do. And that's exactly what happened. And now, I feel bad for us, but, man, you got to feel bad for Major League Baseball because there's going to be about 12 people that watch this World Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and Texas Rangers. Any of you guys in the chat actually going to watch this World Series? I'm not. Who cares about this World Series? Diamondbacks and Rangers. Jesus. But it's frustrating. It will sting. Yeah, BSing Sports, negative. He's not watching. Jay Patterns, not watching. Barbara Carroll's right. D-backs played baseball. You do got to give a lot of credit to that D-backs team. They were scrappy. They could have folded up, went down 2-0. They came back and won two in a row in their, in their building at Chase Field. They go down 3-2, coming back to Philadelphia, Citizens Bank Park, the most intimidating ballpark in Major League Baseball. And they take two in a row. Demoralizing, man. Demoralizing. Now we got to wait a whole offseason and then 162 freaking games to hopefully get back to a red October. Feels like an eternity. Oh, man. Jay Patterns, I don't know. We're on just the worst depression streak in Philly right now. Wish someone could just pull through and win. You know, my dad says this a lot, and it's the truth. One of the things that makes this Philadelphia fan base so hungry for a championship is you look at all the other major cities that have the big four professional sports. They've all had a franchise. Dynasty of some sort with one franchise or another. Every major city has had a dynasty except for Philadelphia. The closest thing that Philadelphia has come to a dynasty was the Philadelphia Flyers in 1974 and 1975. 
You look at all the other major cities. Chicago, they had that long drought with the Chicago Cubs. They had the freaking Bulls. You look at the Boston Red Sox had their drought. Well, they had the New England Patriots and the Celtics. You look at all these other cities, they all had a dynasty of some sort, and the Philadelphia fan base has never had it. That's why when moments like this happen, you need to take advantage of it. The Phillies, they had it right in front of them. This thing was lined up for them to win the World Series this year. And they blew it. And they blew it, man. And I see JM saying that Reed Eagles dominated, but they only got to one Super Bowl and they never won a championship. You cannot be a dynasty without championships. And that is something this city has never had outside of the 74-75 Philadelphia Flyers. They almost did it in 76, went in three straight. We just haven't had it. And you heard Jason Kelsey talk about it when they did win the Super Bowl. Talked about how he gets this fan base, that how hungry they are. We just haven't had it. But what do you guys think? Before we take the break, if you're here in the chat, where does this rank as far as how much it hurts in comparison to other Philadelphia sports losses? Because it's up there for me, but like I said at the beginning of the show, doesn't even come close to how upset I was, how sad I was after Super Bowl 57 this year. I've never wanted a team to win a Super Bowl or a championship more than I wanted the 22 Philadelphia Eagles to win that Super Bowl. And they had it, man. They were up 10. I don't think they choked. I don't think the Philadelphia Eagles choked. They played a really good team. But as far as the sting and the hurt and the depression that set in was a lot more after Super Bowl 57 for me than it will be for this. And maybe it's because this is upsetting, but now we get to turn right to our Philadelphia Eagles. When the Philadelphia Eagles lost that Super Bowl, you also are, oh, man, no more football. We got no more NFL Sundays. That hurts in of itself. And then you watch your team lose. That one hurt. And I see Jay Patterns talking about the 2002 Tampa Bay Bucks game. That one stung also, man. It, that was like a storybook ending. At least it looked like it was going to be. The last game at the vet. The Eagles are finally going to get over the hump of winning an NFC championship game. And I still have nightmares of Rondé Barber running that ball back. But that one hurt. Jay Patterns has number two, Super Bowl 57, and would put the Phillies' loss at number six. Yeah, Midnight Lexicon, the holding call combined with a terrible field. Yeah, all those things, man, all those things. And I had to wake up the next day. I was still practicing law at the time. I had to wake up the next day, jump on a plane, and go to a legal conference in Utah the day after the Super Bowl. Man, that sucked. And then you get there, and you got all these people who – aren't from Philadelphia, like, oh, you lost the Super Bowl. Like, shut up, man. Anyway, sorry, you get me all worked up again. Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're switching gears. I'm done with Philly's talk. We're switching gears. We're going to jump into our Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to take a look ahead at this Washington game. I also want to look at how this offense and defense compares to last year's offense and defense at this point. I like to do that, as you guys know. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. 
and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Champions on three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. We're here to show you a better way to spend your state income taxes and get the money to where it's needed to move to the thousands of qualified kids. What we like about blocks is they really know where the need is. This program ensures that their dollars come 100% into these kids for their tuition assistance. If you are able, Blocks makes the EITC piece go very quickly and very smoothly. Turn your PA state tax liability into need-based scholarships and receive a 90% tax credit. Since 1977, it's always been about you, the community, at Rafferty Subaru. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. What's up, everybody? Welcome back into the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. Appreciate all you guys who are here. Appreciate all of you who are engaging in the chat. Love it. Just a reminder, guys, smash that like button if you can. Hit that share button. The more Philadelphia sports fans we could reach, the better. And if you missed the end of the last segment, we're done talking about the fight in Phils. So, Phillies are done. We're moving on. We're talking about the other sports teams in this city. And before we move into the Philadelphia Eagles talk, how about our Philadelphia Flyers? I had zero expectations for this Flyers team, and they are playing some really good hockey. Late game last night, I caught a little bit of it against the Vegas Golden Knights out on the West Coast. They had that game, and the Vegas Golden Knights are a good team. Obviously, they won the Stanley Cup last year, and they start the season seven straight wins. And the Flyers played them tough. Flyers played them tough. They were up 2-1 in that game. It was 2-2 with only about a minute left. And Vegas scores a late goal, unfortunately. But 
you got to give a lot of credit to John Tortorella. He's got this team playing hard. They're playing good hockey. You know Tortorella teams block shots, and they're doing it, sacrificing their body to block shots, and they're just playing really, really good hockey. So let's hope they can keep this up because, man, you think uh, Red October is fun. If the Flyers can somehow sneak into the playoffs, NHL playoff hockey is pretty awesome. But let's shoot the shit talking about the Flyers choke job against the Devils. Is that the one I talked about yesterday, let's shoot the shit, where Eric Lindros got laid out at the blue line by Scott Stevens? Because that one still haunts me too. Eagles fan, I've never watched an entire hockey game. It's on my bucket list. I'll tell you what, Eagles fan. Out of all the sports, ice hockey is the one that really doesn't translate to television like it does live. So if you've never seen an ice hockey game in its entirety, I recommend going to one first because live is just so much better. Now, part of me actually likes watching football on TV better than going. I feel like I could see more of the game. I like being able to sit there with my notes in front of me and and take notes and all that. But when you're talking about hockey, there's nothing like being in the building watching a hockey game. But – We also got our 76ers starting tomorrow night. As usual, the Sixers are an absolute mess right now. Who knows what's going on with James Harden? Is he coming back? Who knows? I'm starting to not give a crap either about it. They need to do something, though. But let's take a look. Let's switch over to our Philadelphia Eagles, our 6-1 and Philadelphia Eagles. The best record in the NFC. Yesterday, we had our... uh, Niners all damn day in the chat. I don't know if he's been there. You hear Niners? But I don't know if he's been if he was here, but he was here yesterday making excuses for that loss against the Minnesota Vikings. But it's Philadelphia Eagles team, six and one. Things are looking good. They're getting healthy. I don't know how many of you guys tuned in to my legal hands to the face show last night. So I also do legal hands to the face, which is just all Philadelphia Eagles talk. But we did our live show last night. It's still available on all your podcast platforms. It's still available here on YouTube as well. Legal hands to the face. But good news, as I had Dr. Chris Radcliffe on, I have him on every week, really educated, Harvard-educated, Duke Medical School, used to be down on the sidelines as one of the doctors for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I had him on last night to talk about some of these injuries. And good news is I asked him about Jalen Hurts' knee, And he does not seem to be concerned at all. Doesn't think there's any structural damage there. Says that he's probably dealing with just an MCL strain. And that's why the brace is there, just to kind of add a little bit more stability. But that this is something that should heal itself over time. And he doesn't anticipate it affecting Jalen Hurts in the future. So that is big. But you can check that out, that interview out on Legal Hands to the Face, all your podcast platforms. And now I see Niners all damn day. Thanks for checking in. I got to give you credit, Niners all damn day, though. You're here. You don't hide. So I like it. I like it. I'm looking forward to that matchup in a few weeks. Eagles-Niners back at the link, but we will see. But, yeah, good news on the Jalen Hurts front. Looks like he's going to be back. JM, thanks for checking in, man. Have a good day at work. Probably see you tomorrow. Carlos Drew, we need a bruiser back. Doesn't have to be Henry, but Howie has his hooks in them already. Now, Carlos Drew, if you were here yesterday or if you follow me on Instagram at Legal Hands to the Face, 
I just posted a video about it, and we talked about it yesterday, about how I do think they need a big bruiser back. And it's because if you look at the numbers, and I did a deep dive into this yesterday, but if you look at the numbers, outside of two games, the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Minnesota Vikings game, this Philadelphia Eagles rushing attack has not been very effective. And I gave you guys the numbers, and like I said, you could see the full video on my Instagram page, Legal Hands to the Face. But you remove those two games, and you look at the other five games. So we're talking about over 70% of the games they've played. They are only 3.62 yards per carry, which would put them 25th in the league. 108 yards per game, which would make them 19th in the league. And even if you remove the quarterback runs because you think the tush push is bringing them down, the average yards per carry actually drops to 3.4 yards per carry, which puts them at 28th in the league. So something needs to change with that running game. And like I said yesterday, DeAndre Swift, yeah, he's your number one back. He needs to continue to be your number one back. He has the ability to score a touchdown every time he touches the ball. I love how shifty he is. I love his patience back there. But I still think they need a big back. I still think they need a change of pace type back to put with DeAndre Swift. Because when you bring in Kenny Gainwell, similar styles. Swift is better, in my opinion. He's more of a playmaker. But they're the same size back. And even if you throw in Boston Scott, same size back. But I don't think it's Derrick Henry. And I know some people have talked about that. I don't think it's Derrick Henry. Number one, I can't imagine the Tennessee Titans want to make another trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. But I don't think it's Derrick Henry. But I've been going through looking at the rosters. I don't know who it would be that could be available in a trade. But you know Howie Roseman. He pulls things out that nobody was talking about, nobody expected. But I would love to see this team bring in a bigger back that could be a nice change of pace with DeAndre Swift. And he doesn't need to get a ton of touches. Five to seven touches a game to go to this bigger back and giving DeAndre Swift 12 to 15 touches. That, to me, would be a nice, healthy balance for this rushing attack, especially as the season progresses. And I see Let's Shoot the Shit talking about how I need my own music. And I see NJ Fishing Maniac agreeing. That's actually on me. Me and, me and my producer, Xander. Tone doesn't produce this show. Xander produces this show. We're looking up music. We're going to get our own music, guys. So it's coming. It's coming. I just got to pick something. I got to pick something that's perfect for the power hour. So I'll get you. I'll get you. And I see Decoy Gaming talking about playoff Lenny. I wouldn't hate that. I wouldn't hate that. The problem, though, is, is a lot of these guys are so used to getting the majority of the touches in a game, and they're not going to get that here with the Eagles. I still think you got to lean on DeAndre Swift. But we will see. We will see. But we talked about Howie Roseman in that big trade. We talked about it yesterday, the Kevin Byard move. And I went and did a little bit more of a deeper dive into the pro football focus numbers with Kevin Byard. And we've talked about it before. Pro football focus, not necessarily the Bible but they do a really good job, a really good job. And you look at last year in 2022, he played over 500 snaps at free safety, and he played 200 snaps at slot corner. So that's what we were talking about yesterday. He does have the versatility to move into that slot if the Eagles need him to. I wouldn't do that, though. 
I would use him still at the free safety position. I would start Reed Blankenship at the other safety. And then I would use Bradley Roby and Sidney Brown in the slot, hopefully when Bradley Roby gets healthy. And more good news, Reed Blankenship, Dr. Radcliffe on the Legal Hands of the Face show last night also said he expects Reed Blankenship to be back this week. So that's pretty good. Wine Niners Wine asking about, has anyone seen the salary cap hit for Bayard? My understanding in looking at his contract is it's going to be about a $2 million cap hit this year, around 2.4. The problem is what happens next year because it would balloon to over $14 million cap hit. And it's not guaranteed. So there's no way he's coming back here or any team with that cap hit. So if the Eagles want to keep him, they're going to have to restructure his deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if Howie Roseman does something like that after he sees him play a little bit in this system. But I think if Bayard plays well, you may see this guy. He's been in the league now for eight years. We know he grew up in Philadelphia, and he's playing for a contender. You may see him give this team some sort of friendly deal to stay around here, but we'll see. We will see. Transistor Zen talking about Castellanos. We are moving on, man. We are done talking about the fight in Phils. I'm done. We're going to talk about the Eagles, the Flyers, the Sixers, but we're putting the Phillies on the shelf for a little bit because I can't talk about it anymore. Frustrated enough talking about it last night. Eli Ricks and Sidney Brown look real promising, says Donnie. Yes, they do. They look really good. And I talked about it yesterday on the show, how impressed I've been with Eli Ricks as an undrafted rookie, showing no fear in that Miami Dolphins game, going up against the number one passing offense in the league and Tyreek Hill, and Eli Ricks was out there battling. Battling, like Eli Ricks. But back to Kevin Byard, looking at these pro football focus numbers, we know he was a two-time All-Pro. Last time he was an All-Pro was in 2021. In 2021, he had a 90.4 pro football focus rating, which is really impressive. Really impressive to be in the 90s for an entire season. And in 2022, a little bit of a a drop-off, but not much. Still was rated at a 79.5 pro football focus score. And what was really impressive, he had an 81 in coverage, which was one of the best, if not the best, coverage scores at the safety position. So this guy, I know a lot of people in the chat, well, more so on my Instagram page, and it was mostly Giants, Cowboys, Commanders haters talking, oh, he's lost a step. He's lost a step. Maybe a little bit. But this guy is still an extremely good safety in this league. An extremely good safety in this league. And he's a huge upgrade from Terrell Edmonds. So, again, hats off to Howie Roseman for making that move. And we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I know a lot of people are saying that the Tennessee Titans got fleeced again. I don't think they did. I really don't think that they did. This is a guy who, like I said, his contract next year is not guaranteed. It balloons to $14 million. They weren't bringing him back anyway. So you're talking about really a rental for anybody, and the Titans are selling. They, they have no shot to compete in the AFC. So they got what they could. So I don't think they got fleeced. I think they did the best thing for their team, which is move on from a guy who's not going to be there at the end of the season. And I see Wine Niners Wine saying that Ringo appears to be an early miss. You know, Wine Niners Wine, I don't necessarily agree with that. We knew when they drafted Keely Ringo 
that he was raw. And I wasn't expecting Keely Ringo to really do a lot this year or contribute a lot this season. He was more of a project. And they obviously thought highly of him. They did trade away a pick to get him. But I don't think that they got him expecting him to really make an impact this season. I think he was more of a project. So I'm not ready to say that Ringo was a miss. I think they knew what they were getting with Ringo, which was a very raw but talented corner. He's got the size and the athleticism to become a a number one D-back. But he's only 21 years old. So, And there's Brian Lippincott in the chat. Exactly. He's only 21 years old. So be patient with Ringo. And you guys got to remember, too, we weren't expecting to need these young guys this year. You got two corners that the Eagles were anticipating to contribute a lot to this team out for the year. Zach McPherson and Avante Maddox. And before Zach McPherson got hurt, in camp they had him working in the slot. So I expected Zach McPherson to get a lot of playing time this season, especially with Avante Maddox out. But unfortunately, McPherson gets hurt. So I don't think that they were anticipating needing Keely Ringo this year. He's a young guy. He's raw. But don't count him out. He's got a lot of potential, that kid. A lot of potential. Matt Lagoy naming some running backs that could potentially be available. A.J. Dillon. Deontay Foreman. James Conner. Yeah, I want a big back. A.J. Dillon's a big back. If they could somehow pry him loose, man, that wouldn't be a bad change of pace. That would not be a bad change of pace. But we're running out of time here, guys, because we only have an hour. But what I do want to look at is I want to compare, and then we can preview Washington a little bit if we have time. If not, we'll get into it tomorrow and Friday. we still got a few days before Washington. But I just want to compare this offense this year to where they were last year, and it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy how good this offense has been, even though it doesn't feel like everything is clicking. And when you watch these games, it doesn't feel like they're the same high-powered offense they were last year, but they're really getting the same end result, and it's almost uncanny how similar it is. Last year in 2022, that high-powered dominant offense averaged 389 yards per game. So far this season, through seven weeks, Philadelphia Eagles are averaging 389 yards per game. Identical. Who likes the movie My Cousin Vinny? Identical. One of my favorite movies. That's what I thought being a lawyer was going to be like. It's not. (laughs) It's not. Points per game. Last year, they averaged 28 points per game. This year, they're close to 27 points per game. Pretty crazy. Last year, passing game, 242 yards per game. This year, 247. Rushing attack, 148 yards per game last year. This year, 143. Now, I've expressed my concerns with that running game. Those numbers are inflated a little bit because of those two really, really dominant performances against the Bucs and the Vikings. But again, almost identical to the numbers from last year. Yards per carry is down a little bit. They were at 4.6 last year. They're at 4.3 this year. Third down conversions. Eagles have been very good on third down on offense this year. 
They're at over 48%, which puts them at number two in the NFL this season. And they were really good on third down last year at 46%. One of the areas that they have dropped off immensely is not going to come as a shock to you guys if you watch the Philadelphia Eagles is their red zone offense. And we've talked about it. We're trying to figure out what the hell is going on in the red zone. I think a lot of it has been play calling and play design, but they need to get that fixed. Last year, this was one of the best red zone offenses in the NFL. They converted in the red zone 68% of the time last year, which was top three in the league. So far through seven games, they are only scoring touchdowns 50% of the time. That puts them at 19th in the NFL. And that's coming off a good week where they went four of six in the red zone. So let's hope that's a sign of things to come. Because this Washington team, and we will preview this as this continues to go this week, we will preview it. But one of the things this Washington defense does well, and they don't do a lot of things well, and we'll talk about it, tomorrow and Friday, but this Washington defense doesn't do a lot of things well. But one thing they do do well is red zone defense. They're in the top 10 for red zone defense. So we need this Philadelphia Eagles offense to get back to what they were doing last year in the red zone and get more creative once you get down into the red zone. If I keep saying back-to-back quarterback draws, man, I'm going to lose my mind. But I'm giving them some credit. They did go four straight red zone opportunities on Sunday against the Miami Dolphins, and they converted four straight. And I like the play calling, the tight end screen that actually worked. But last year, one of the best teams in the league in the red zone, this year, close to the bottom. So they need to figure that out. One of the other things that they're doing this year that was uncharacteristic that they didn't do last year was turn the ball over on offense. Top five in the NFL last year in turnovers. They only turned the ball over 19 times last year. So far through seven games, they've already turned it over 11 times, which puts them at 21 in the league. So two areas. Everything else is pretty identical. Passing yards, total yards, points per game, rushing yards, everything else pretty good. Third down conversion, pretty good. But two areas that have me concerned that can really lose you football games, red zone and turnovers. You guys have watched as much football as me you know how quickly that can change an outcome of a game. If you can't convert touchdowns in the red zone and you're going to turn the ball over, that can completely change a game no matter how good your offense and your defense are playing. So those are two things they really need to fix going forward. Still giving up a lot of sacks. They gave up a lot of sacks last year too. I'm not sure a lot of people realize that, but they were 21st in the NFL last year. They gave up 44 sacks. So far through seven games, 17 sacks they've given up, which is 20th in the league. So Jalen gets sacked a lot. It just happens. But you look at this defense, and we've talked about how impressed we are with Sean Desai. I mean, what he's done over the last few weeks is unbelievable. And I went over the numbers with you guys yesterday. There's a video on my Instagram about it as well. But you look at what this guy's been able to do with who he's been able to do it with. Basically, a different secondary every week. Bradley Roby, they bring in off the street. He plays against the Rams. Josiah Scott, they bring in from the Pittsburgh Steelers practice squad. They bring him back. He plays well against the Dolphins. They got Eli Ricks, who we've talked about. A different safety every week. 
Reed's been in and out. Justin Evans has been in and out. Now you're going to add Kevin Byard. They were playing with Terrell Edmonds back there, who I had zero confidence in. So what this guy's been able to do with this defense is impressive. But you look at these numbers, and they're getting better. They're coming down every single week. But you look at these numbers, they're giving up 290 yards per game. That puts them at number six in the NFL. That's pretty damn good, man. When you look at this defense, outside of the D-line, look at the linebackers. Zach Cunningham got here in training camp. Nick Morrow was a guy that nobody wanted. Eagles cut him. Nobody picked him up. They were able to bring him back. N'Kobe Dean was out. He's now working his way back in. We just talked about the safeties, the slot corner position. James Bradbury, Darius Slate, they've been in and out of the lineup. Bradbury missed a game with a concussion. Slay missed a game with a knee. So what this guy's been able to do, being number six in the NFL, only giving up 290 yards per game. We know how good the Eagles defense was last year. They finished the year giving up 298, put them at number nine in the NFL. So the Eagles are actually less than what they were doing last year. And what's even more impressive is they're only giving up 20 points a game. Last year, they gave up close to 21 points a game. 20 points a game is still 14th in the NFL. But with this offense doing what they're doing, if this defense can hold opposing teams to 20 points, they're going to win a lot of football games. And you're seeing it. You're seeing it. That's a formula to win a lot of football games, limiting teams to 20 points in the NFL. And the passing offense, or excuse me, the passing defense is getting better. They're now down to 227 yards per game. And I talked to you guys yesterday about what they've done over the last few weeks. I want to give you those numbers again if I could find them. Because it's impressive what this corner group has been able to do. So you look at the last three weeks, this secondary has only given up 183 yards a game in the air. That would be fourth in the NFL. And yeah, they played one bad passing offense in that three-game stretch, the New York Jets, but they played two really damn good passing offenses in that three-game stretch with the Los Angeles Rams and the Miami Dolphins. So Really impressed. Then you look at this rushing defense. Number one in the NFL. They're only giving teams 63 yards per game. Impressive, man. This defense, they're getting better every single week. And let's just jump down to sacks. I know everybody knows how good this team was last year. Led the entire league in sacks with 70. Well, They're working their way up the ranks now. I know it came off a little slow in the beginning, but they're up to 24 sacks, puts them at number three in the league. And what's even more impressive, number one in the NFL in quarterback pressures. And that should be something as we start to preview the Washington game. Washington is 32nd in the NFL, giving up 40 sacks this year. Eagles had five sacks against them earlier in the season. I expect them to maybe even double that this week. But guys, That will do it for the Power Hour today. I appreciate all of you guys checking in in the chat. I appreciate all of you saying you want more than an hour. We're going to keep this going. We're going to make this the best hour in Philadelphia sports talk, and then we'll see. We'll see how we can maybe extend this thing. But 
like we end every day, I usually talk about today in sports history, but instead we're going to do a big birthday today in sports history, and that is Mike Ruzioni, Rizzo, from the USA hockey team, 1980, Do You Believe in Miracles? Turned 69 years old today, Mike Ruzioni. So happy birthday to Rizzo. That was an awesome, awesome thing. Do You Believe in Miracles? Great movie, too. But guys, as always, love you being here. Love the engagement. Smash that like button on your way out. Tomorrow, we got Farzi joining the show. Love having Mark Farzetta on. He's great. Friday, we have Dave Spadaro, the Eagles insider, joining the show. And we'll talk a little bit about the Sixers tomorrow with their home opener. But we're going to be real heavy on the Philadelphia Eagles the next couple of days because they are the best team in the city right now and my favorite team. And I'm hoping you guys too. So we'll talk soon, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com.